0: Bless as he who comes in the name of the Lord of hosts. Bless, O oh Lord, the reading of the Holy Gospel according to Saint Matthew. Glory. Savior and King of us all, Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, to Him be the glory forever. Amen. Now as He sat at the Mount of Olives, of the disciples came to Him privately, saying, Tell us when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you, For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars, see that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass. But the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes. In various places, all these things are the beginning of sorrows, then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will be offended, will betray one another and will hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold but he who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of of by Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him who is on the house up not go down to take anything out of his house. And let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. But woe to those who are pregnant and those who are nursing babies in those days. And pray that your flight may not be in winter or on the Sabbath. For then there will be great tribulation. Such as has not been since the beginning of the world until this time. No, nor shall ever be. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved, but for the elect's sake those days will be shortened. Then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ or there, do not believe it, for false Christs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand, Therefore, if they say to you, Look, He is in the desert, do not go out. Or look, He is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will the the coming of the Son of Man be. For wherever the carcass is, there the eagles will be gathered together. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened Now learn this parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. So you also, when you see all these things, know that it is near at the doors. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away. But my words by no means will pass away. I know that next Friday is the Feast of Nairuz, which is uh, the Coptic New Year. Actually, we read, if you were listening to the Senexar today, we read from the month, the Coptic month of Picoji. Picoji means, in English, the little month, because the month is actually only six days or seven days. It's just the leftover days from the Coptic calendar. The Coptic calendar every month is 30 days, and then there are leftover days at the end of the year, depending on if it's a leap year or not. Today is the first day of that month. The Feast of Nairuz, which we celebrate on, on Friday, we celebrate the martyrs of the church. Actually, the Feast of Nairuz comes from uh, before even uh, Christian times, pharaonic times, the, the calendar was in, in, in use and it was to celebrate sort of the Nile river waters and all this kind of things uh but during the persecution of christians uh, under this roman empire very famous roman emperor his name is diocletian starting in 283 ad uh the coptic christians adopted this calendar for their church like liturgical use and that's why if you ever pay attention in the synaxar when you see it being read it will have a day and then it will have a year sort of in a year in a number that we would recognize and then a year in a number maybe that we do not recognize so A.D. When we say A.D., uh, this is Latin for Anno Domini, which means Year of the Lord, which is sort of a uh, sort of an estimation of zero being the birth of Christ, and then every year after being uh, the year after Christ was born. For the Coptic Church and the Coptic liturgy, or in the Coptic uh, calendar, our uh, our zero, if you could call it zero, is not A.D. but actually A.M., which means Anno Martyri. Which is the year of the martyrs, and this starts at two hundred eighty-three A.D. In recognition of uh, the beginning of the reign of the Emperor Diocletian, who actually was martyred, many, many, many thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, of Copts uh, during his during his reign. So the feast of Naruz, even though it's also about uh, the the martyrs, it's also about the newness of a new year, new life, new beginning. Um, but we focus on the martyrs and actually even the Gospel today when it talks about the second coming. Remember if you remember last week we said the last two readings of the year on the Sundays talk about the end of the world. But also talks about persecution that's going to happen at the end of the world. We are indebted to the martyrs of the church that shown to us sort of as beacons of light and they gave the people strength through their faith. They kept the church strong until this day. If it wasn't for sort of the fearlessness of the martyrs that we have in the church, the church would not be as strong as it is today. One of the things that I think is maybe unique to the Coptic church is that there is very, very, very little time in history where the church was not being attacked, being persecuted, or being actually in a position of weakness as far as the world considers strength and weakness. But even despite this, the church survived these 2,000 years, presenting us, the faith, unchanged until today. The feast, as most of you probably know, falls usually on September 11th, sometimes it's September 12th, if it is a Coptic leap year. As we celebrate the new year, we remember our eagerness to share with the martyrs the new day in which they are entering into paradise. New season, where the brightness of the glory of Christ Shines. If you look, even the reading that we read today, from the past couple of verses, it's, it's, it's sort of giving us hope and anticipation. It's saying he's saying he is going to send the angels a great sound of a trumpet, and he's going to gather together his elect from the four winds. And so it's sort of a, a an eager anticipation for the second coming of Christ for the martyrs and the elect and those who are faithful. During the feast, just to give you some information about the feast itself, all the prayers are done in joyful tune. And this actually continues all the way until the 16th day of the first month of the Coptic year, which is the month of Tut, uh, because then it goes all the way until the Feast of the Cross. And all the readings are celebrating, especially the first day, are celebrating uh, the New Year. We hear about sort of the newness of the New Year in all the readings of the Divine Liturgy. We hear in the Psalm, for example, says, "Bless, bless the crown of the year with your goodness. In the Gospel, our Lord Jesus Christ blesses the year. He says that He has come to... Proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Even in the Pauline epistle it says, The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. We see all the readings of the feast of Nairuz talking about the new year. But the gospel this morning, as I was saying before, being focused on the end of days, our Lord Jesus Christ, He warns His followers, he says, Then they will deliver you to tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated by all nations for My name's sake. So something important to understand is martyrdom or persecution has been inseparable from Christianity from its very first days. Okay? So the concept of carrying a cross, enduring suffering in the name of Christ is a true and integral reality for all of us who choose to become disciples of Christ. With it, of course, comes a multitude of Blessings and a personal connection with Christ that has its own unique, special sweetness that cannot be compared to anything else. Martyrdom is unique in all the suffering in the pursuit of upholding the faith because there is no visible reward in the life for the believer. Right? So if I suffer for something, I may receive a reward somehow. I could receive a reward from my peers. I could receive a reward from those who believe like me. Martyrdom is unique in that there is no temporal reward for martyrdom. It's a permanent step and requires ultimate faith. So that's why for this reason, those people who, are, who become martyrs are held in the highest esteem by our church. And you know, I don't know if you realize this when we are praying in the liturgical prayers of the church, but there is a certain ordering and hierarchy of the saints. When we pray the hymn of the intercessions, or when we pray the doxologies, or when we pray the verses of the symbols, there is a certain order and hierarchy. We always mention Saint Mary first, before we mention any other saint. Then we mention the angels, then we mention the apostles, who, by the way, the majority were almost all of them were martyrs, and then we name the martyrs. Then, after the martyrs come uh, the 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 righteous uh, clergy of the church and the saints and the men and women of the church uh, who were saints. So the church puts the martyrs in a very high position when you see the prayers that we have arranged uh, for asking for their intercessions. Because their faith is a wonderful quality that we have to strive to have, a faith and a love in Christ that, when it was tested, it was proved to be genuine, and it was proved to be unshakable. All of us here, if I were to ask you, do you believe in God, you would say yes. But when you are presented with an opportunity To prove your faith in God, either by acting in a way or not acting in a way uh, that would be against His commands, sometimes we falter. Sometimes we have faith in words, but we do not have faith in action. The martyrs, when they were tested, proved their faith to be genuine. It is the highest form of witness. And it was proven to be actually very powerful and inspired actually a lot of people to become Christians. More than even preaching. The word itself, by the way, most of you may know this, the word martyr itself in the Greek means witness. And in the beginning of the church, was used to describe anybody who sort of was evangelizing for uh, the faith. It came to be synonymous with the martyrs because the martyrs themselves uh, became such great witnesses and great evangelists for the faith. And there's a famous quote by Tertullian, one of the leaders in the early church. Um, He says, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church and this is truly was the case so for us to develop the attitude of a martyr is not something that could be given to us or attained by uh, us just through courage and through desire by itself but actually martyrdom or the attitude of a martyr is the natural byproduct of someone who has a strong personal love for god someone who has already counted their life to be nothing without God. Long before any sacrifice, any actual sacrifice was asked for by God. Sometimes we look at the martyrs and we hear their stories and we think about them and and we think about their tortures and things like that and we wonder, how can somebody endure all of this? In reality, they had been denying themselves and enduring suffering their entire lives for the name of Christ. And this is just sort of like simply like the final iteration of their walk with Christ. It's not something that they came all of a sudden. They had been denying themselves and living a life of sacrifice their entire life. And this is just the final logical step in that path. So our, our desire as a Christian should be to live with God. So any suffering that is, for example, like self-inflicted is a corruption of Christianity and it's considered sin. There is no doctrine in the church that promotes like self-mutilation or thoughts of self-loathing or excessive guilt. It's not approved to put myself in harm's way purely for the sake of enduring suffering. Those who were martyred were martyred in the name of the faith. There were people who were placed in a position declaring their faith would directly lead to their execution or their, or worshipping of, or the lack of worshipping their idols would lead to their death. Another reason, uh, for a martyr besides declaration of faith is in defense of dogma. This was a regular occurrence, especially in the third and fourth centuries of Christianity during the spread of Arianism. To not let go of the truth and even until the point of death. And so, there are many things that we can learn from the martyrs. First, their true love and their faith in God as they abandoned any joy besides God Himself. Any joy, any benefits of the world, they considered as rubbish, like St. Paul says. In the final hour of their life, their true character was shown. And like I was saying before, oftentimes we think of ourselves one way, but when we are confronted... In reality, we may be something different. We like to think of ourselves as faithful. We like to think of ourselves as patient. We like to think of ourselves as courageous. But when the time actually comes, sometimes we behave in a way that is different from this. Also, their absolute courage in enduring excessive torture, both physical torture and emotional torture, often having to suffer... Or see the suffering of their loved ones as well as their own suffering. People were watching, captivated with these martyrs, and they died with such conviction that they became sort of evangelists of the church, as I was saying before. So how can I apply to my life practically uh, the, the spirit or the attitude of, of martyrdom so that we can, when we celebrate the Feast of Nairuz being the, the Feast of the New Year and being the Feast of the Martyrs, we can sort of try to apply this to our own spiritual lives. To apply it, first we have to understand the relationship with us as Christians and suffering. Our Lord Jesus Christ, He provides the basis and the foundation of the example, and the example for our understanding of the nature or the relation between love and suffering. How suffering and sacrifice is withstood in defense of true love. His life and His death actually were an expression of His love. You remember the very famous verse in the Gospel, of St. John, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. The penalty for our sins was separation from God, a thought that was so unbearable to God that He preferred to pay this penalty Himself through humiliation, through torture, through crucifixion, without grumbling, without hesitation, St. Paul says, And being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. So in our lives when we look to imitate Christ, baptism starts this journey as we are sort of submerged and drawn out of the water, we have died and were born and become a new person. This new person that is born of the Spirit doesn't live for themselves any longer. They live for God and they live for others. This new person lives a sacrificial love that glorifies God. This has to be practically applied in our lives. You know, St. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. The life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Our Lord Jesus Christ Demonstrated this suffering through his example, but also he alluded to it and talked about it regularly in his teachings. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. It becomes sort of a declaration of our commitment and our love to God that we can forsake the things of the world for our Lord. In the Gospel of St. John, he says, Then he said to them all, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Christ stresses the need for sacrifices. Even again in the Gospel of St. John, he gives a little parable that talks about this. He says, Verily I say unto you, except a piece of wheat fall to the ground and die, it abides alone. But if it dies and brings forth much fruit, he that loves his life shall lose it, and he that hates his life in the world shall keep it unto life eternal. So those of us, are trying to be true Christians, who accept the calling to take up the cross, to follow Him, we have to live our lives as martyrs. Firstly, we have to fulfill the meaning of the word as true witnesses. And secondly, there are many ways in which we are already dead to the world, right? We're putting aside selfish ambition, putting aside pride, putting aside greed, putting aside lust. All of these levels of devotion are small stepping stones away from actually becoming a martyr. So, regardless of the Lord's will for us, for these people to receive the crown of martyrdom or not, they receive a reward in heaven for being dead to the world. So, I will leave you with some practical examples of how I can die daily to the world to be as a martyr in the world. First one is repentance with all its uh, all that comes with it. So. Regular daily examination, regular confession with my father of confession, a frank confession of my sins. This is the way I die to the world and become a martyr. Secondly, fasting and prayer regularly and with discipline and striving for a degree of asceticism from the materialistic world. By this I mean like worldly desires, like lusts, like laziness, like seeking glory from people. Third, by holding on to the commandments of God, practicing them in a daily discipleship. Bearing illness and sickness with thanksgiving. Another way for me to be a martyr. Bearing with those who are evil to me, even to the extent of presenting them with love, praying for them, asking God for their forgiveness, making excuses for them. If you are married, in the life of matrimony, loving your partner and denying yourself For them, accepting the other person's weakness until God, at the right time, through your prayers and patience, and through the intercessions of the church and the martyrs and the saints, gives them strength to face the weakness that they can change. Bearing in, bringing up, and being a martyr and a witness. In bringing up future generations with great patience, with understanding, giving them love, kindness, but also discipline and guidance. Handing down to them the church and the altar and traditions that you have received. Bearing the cost of being a good friend in faithfulness and purity in a world that doesn't recognize those things. Serving God and His church, His children that are in need with all of my strength with patience, with long-suffering, with tears, with prayers. All of these ways are practical ways. How can I share in the sufferings of the martyrs? How can I become like the martyrs? These are ways that we can do this. By this, we share in the sufferings. When we do this, we can be like the martyrs in some small way. We can share in the suffering, which are sort of after the sufferings of our Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. Before salvation, suffering and death was tied to sin. Before salvation, suffering and death was tied to sin. However, after the salvation given to us by our Lord Jesus Christ from the cross and in the, through His resurrection, suffering became for us a gift granted to us from God. I will leave you with this verse from St. Paul. He says, for To you it has been granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe in Him but also to suffer for His sake. May the blessings of the feast of Nairuz, which we celebrate on Friday be with us. May the prayers and sessions of the saints and martyrs of the church who have strengthened and kept the faith until this very moment be with us all. And glory be to God forever and ever. Amen.